The Indulgence of Negu Ma by Robert Arthur. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Stephen Anderson. The Indulgence of Negu Ma by Robert Arthur. In his garden, Negu Ma, the Callisto uranium merchant, sat sipping a platinum mug of Molkai with his guest, Sliss the Venusian. Nanlo, his wife, pushing before her the small serving cart with its platinum Molkai decanter, paused for an instant as she entered the shell of pure vitrite which covered the garden, giving it the illusion of out-of-doorness. Negu Ma sat at his ease his broad, merry, half-oriental face good-humored, his features given a ruddy tinge by the light of rising Jupiter, the edge of whose sphere was beginning to dominate the horizon. Sliss, the intelligent amphibian, squatted across from him in the portable tub of water which he carried with him whenever absent from the swamps of his native Venus. The amphibian's popping eyes turned toward her. The wide, frog face split in a smile of appreciation as Nanlo approached. She refilled their mugs deftly and withdrew, but before she re-entered the house she could not resist hesitating to glance toward rising Jupiter and the slim shaft of the rocket ship silhouetted now against its surface. The ship was the cargo rocket Vulcan, newest and swiftest of Neguma's freighter fleet. Fully fueled and provisioned, storage space jammed with refrigerated foods that in space the cold of the encompassing void would keep perfectly for generations were it necessary. She would take off in the morning from the close-by landing port for Jupiter's other satellites, then go on to the Saturnian system, returning finally with full holds of uranium for Neguma's refineries on Callisto. She was a beautiful craft, the Vulcan, and one man could manage her, though her normal crew was seven. She had cost a great sum, but Neguma was wealthy. Nanlo's face Sylph-like in its beauty, hardened. Neguma was wealthy indeed. Had he not bought her? And had she not cost him more, much more than the Vulcan? But no, it was not quite accurate to say that Neguma had bought her. However, since time immemorial, beautiful daughters had been, if not sold, yet urged into marriages to wealthy men for the benefit of their impoverished families. And though science had made great strides, conquering the realms of the telescope and invading those below the level of the microscope, finding cures for almost every disease the flesh of man was heir to, there was one ailment it had not yet conquered. Poverty. Nanlo's father had been a rocket port attendant. Once he had been a pilot, but a crash crippled him for life. Thereafter, his wages had been quite insufficient to sustain him, his brood of a half-dozen children, and their hard-working mother. But Nanlo, growing up, had developed into a mature beauty that rivaled the exotic loveliness of the wild orchids of Eo, and in debarking at the rocket port on a business trip to Earth because hurricanes had forced him to land far south of New York, Neguma had seen her. Thereafter... But that is a story as ancient as history, too. It was a truth Nenlo conveniently overlooked now that she had not been unwilling to be Neguma's bride. 
It was true she had driven a sharp bargain with him, her father's debts paid, and sufficient more to ease her parents' life and educate her brothers and sisters, plus a marriage settlement for herself, and a sum in escrow in the Earth Union Bank should she ever divorce him for cruelty or mistreatment. But that had been only innate shrewdness. She would still have married him had he refused her demands for her family. For his wealth fascinated her, and the prospect of being a virtual queen, even of a distinct outpost colony such as that on Callisto, appealed to her. And she had thought that she was taking little risk, for if she were dissatisfied, the law these days was very lenient toward unhappy marital relationships. It required only definite proof of misconduct, mistreatment, or oppression of any kind to win freedom from an unwanted partner. Nanlo had been confident that after a year or two she would be able to shake free of the bonds uniting her to Neguma, and take flight for herself into a world made vastly more pleasant by the marriage settlement remaining to her. But now she had been married, and had lived on Callisto for a full five years, and her tolerance of Neguma had long since turned to bitter hate. Not because he was a bad husband but because he was too good a one. There was an ironic humor in the situation, but Nanlo was not disposed to recognize it. Lenient as the law was, yet it required some grounds before it could free her, and she had no grounds whatsoever. Neguma was at all times the model of courtesy and consideration toward her. He granted every reasonable wish and some that were unreasonable, although when he refused one of the latter, it was with a firmness as unshakable as a rock. Their home was as fine as any on earth. She had more than adequate help in taking care of it. She had ample time for any pursuits that interested her, but she only used it to become more and more bitter against Neguma because she could find no excuse to divorce him. So great had her bitterness become that if she could have gotten off Callisto in any way, she would have deserted him. This would have meant forfeiting her marriage settlement and the sum that was in escrow. It would also have left her father in debt to Neguma for all that Neguma had given him. But Nanlo's passionate rebellion had reached such a state of ferment in her breast that she would have accepted all this to strike a blow at the plump, smiling man who now sat drinking Molkai in their garden with their guest from Venus. The answer to that was, Neguma would not let her leave Callisto. The journey to Earth, he logically argued, was still one containing a large element of danger. There was no reason for her to visit any other planet, and law and custom required that she look after their home while he himself was away on business. In this, he was unshakable. There was a stern and unyielding side to him, inherited perhaps from his eastern ancestors, that left Nanlo shaken and frightened when it appeared. She had seen it the one time she had seriously gone into a tantrum in an effort to make him let her take a trip to Earth. It had so startled and terrified her that she never used those tactics again. But now, as she wheeled away the Molkai decanter and left Neguma and Sliss to themselves, joy and exultation was singing in her. Doubly. For she was going to run away from Neguma run away with the man she loved, 
and in their flight they were going to steal the Vulcan. Thus Neguma would be doubly punished. He would be hurt in his pride and in his pocketbook. And all through the Jupiter and Saturn systems, where his wealth, his position, and his beautiful wife were openly envied, he would be laughed at and derided. Humming lightly under her breath, Nanlo put the Molkai decanter away in a little pantry and hurried on to her own apartment. Molkai was a powerful, though non-habit-forming drink. Under its influence, one became talkative, but disinclined to movement. Sliss and her husband would remain as they were for hours, leaving her free to do as she would. The servants were asleep in another part of the building, and there was no one to note as she changed her clothes swiftly for a light, warm traveling suit, caught up two small bags, one holding her personal things, the other her jewels, and let herself out through her own private entrance into the darkness of the rear gardens, where in the shadows the tall, blonde, young engineer Hugh Niels was waiting for her. Negu Ma, when his beautiful wife had left the garden, sighed and put to one side his mug of Molkai. Sliss, my friend, he said to the Venusian, who was regarding him with large, unblinking pop eyes. I am troubled in my mind. Tonight I must dispense justice. Justice to myself and justice to another. To be just is often to be terribly cruel. Sliss blinked once, a film moving horizontally across his large eyes and retracting, to show that he understood. Due to the difficulty of using his artificial speech mechanism, he refrained from speaking until speech was necessary. My wife, Nanlo, Neguma said heavily, is unhappy. I have done all that is in my power to make her happy, but I have failed. She has made some requests that I have denied, namely to be permitted freedom to visit Earth. That I denied because I knew the path she intended to tread would have not led her to happiness either. And I hope that in the end here she would find contentment. I have hoped in vain. Tonight, she intends to take matters into her own hands. Sliss blinked again, politely, to indicate that he was interested if Neguma cared to tell him more. Neguma rose. My friend, he said, if you will come with me, I will show you what I mean. Sliss grasped the edge of his tub with webbed hands and swung his webbed, yellow-skinned feet free from the water which kept the sensitive membranes from drying, and at the same time supplied his body tissues with liquid. Falling upon all fours like a great, misshapen pet, he waddled awkwardly after his host. Neguma led him to an elevator within the house. This took them to a higher floor, and there they followed a corridor to the rear of the building. Here Neguma, without showing a light, opened a door, and in silence they moved out upon a small balcony overlooking the rear gardens, which were shrouded in darkness because rising Jupiter was on the opposite side of the building. They had stood there only a moment when below them a door opened, and a small figure slipped through. Another figure appeared from beneath the shadows of a cluster of slender, purple necklo trees and moved forward to greet the first. They met in the center of a tiny open space, where a fountain spurting through holes in a crystal made a sweet murmuring music. 
and to the two watchers rose whispered words. Nanlo. Nanlo, my darling. Hugh. Oh, Hugh, my love, hold me close and tell me that everything is ready for us to leave. Hugh Neal's arms held her close, and his lips were hot on hers. That he was here as they had planned meant that he had succeeded in the other plans they had agreed upon. Exultation soared higher in Nanlo's breast. Then can we go? Go now? She asked eagerly as Hugh Neal's released her. The crew's asleep. You are able to arrange it? The young engineer looked down at her, his thin face a pale blur in the darkness. In five minutes, just five minutes, Nanlo, my own, I left the guard half an hour ago, drinking molkai into which I put a sleeping powder. Give him five more minutes to fall asleep, then we can go to the ship unseen, unchecked. Until then, we can wait here in the garden. He led her toward the trilling fountain, and they sat down upon a bench before it, of rare Callisto crystal. They were still in darkness, but the flame-like Jupiter light touched the tops of the Neclo trees above them with a ruddy light, which brought faint glimmerings from the radioactive leaves. Hugh Niels was a recent college graduate, whom Negu Ma had hired as an assistant supervisor in the refining mills on Callisto, where the precious uranium-235 was separated from the ordinary metal. It was not a desirable job, but the best Hugh Neils could get. His college record of reckless scrapes and entanglements with women had been against him. Indeed, this position had only come to him because his home was in the same section as Nanlo's, and Neguma had thought that perhaps his company on occasion would help alleviate Nanlo's restlessness. It had, but to an extent Neguma had not foreseen. In less than a quarter of an hour, Nanlo, my darling, Hugh Neils whispered now, We'll be gone from here, and you'll belong only to me. We'll leave this infernal barren satellite to spin itself dizzy out here in no place. We'll leave that Humpty Dumpty husband of yours and his hypocritical good nature to whistle for his wife and his ship. We won't care. We'll be together, always together from now on, and he'll never see us again. Nanlo leaned against his shoulder. The prospect that he had painted seemed very sweet to her. "'You're sure you can manage the ship alone?' she asked. "'But of course I can help. A little, anyway. You can teach me.' "'Of course,' Hugh Niels answered confidently, and bent to kiss her again. "'I've been studying her for a week, asking questions, making friends with the crew. I can handle her one-handed.' We'll take off and circle Jupiter first. They may think we landed on the other side in the outlaw crevice. Or they may figure that we went on to Saturn and we'll hide somewhere in the system there. But we won't do either, and they won't know where to look for us. Instead of turning back on the other side of Jupiter, we'll make a tangential angle out in space. We'll hold it for a month for safety's sake. We could hold for fifty years or a hundred if we needed to. There's fuel and provisions meant for the mines. Enough to last that long. At the end of the month, we'll swing back, cut into the path of the sun, and pick up Mars as she comes in from behind Sol. On Mars, we can sell the Vulcan. There's an outfit in the equator zone in the mountains west of the Great Canal that'll buy her, and no questions asked. I learned about them from a fraternity brother while I was in college. He'd run into some hard luck, 
They gave him a job and he was making money hand over fist. They're asteroid miners. The work they do is illegal but justified morally. What right have men with more money than they know what to do with to own everything in the solar system? How can a young fellow get a start anymore when corporations and rich old fogies own everything? Maybe I'll join up with this outfit. After we sold the ship, I'll see. How does that sound to you? Wonderful, Hugh. But I don't care about all that. All I want is for us to be together. Always. You and me and our love together for eternity. That's all I want. That's all I want too, darling Nanlo. Hugh Niels told her passionately and kissed her. Together forever. Just you and me. Nanlo sighed with luxuriant happiness and peered at his radiumite wristwatch. The five minutes are up, she murmured. Can't we go now? Hugh Niels nodded. We've waited plenty long enough, he decided. The guard will be asleep by now. The crew were that way when I left them in the dormitory. I saw that they had plenty of spiked molkai at dinner. Pretended it was my birthday celebration. And the ship's all ready and waiting for the takeoff. All we have to do is lock the port and close the rising switch. The two on the bench by the fountain rose, and for a long minute were locked in an embrace. Then they turned toward the dark shadowed trees and disappeared beneath them in the direction of the nearby spaceport. Neguma silently turned back into the house. Sliss shuffled after him. The uranium merchant led the way back to the vitrite-covered garden and there, a little wearily, resumed his seat and picked up his mug again. Sliss climbed back into his tub of water, sighed gratefully at the comfort it gave him, and then turned his pop eyes toward his host. He blinked once, inquiringly, and Neguma understood that the intelligent amphibian was asking if he intended to do nothing to stop the pair who were running away. Neguma sipped pensively at his drink. If she had only told me, he murmured. If she had only come to me and said she desired her freedom, if they had both come together and faced me, saying that though it meant giving up all they had, they wanted only each other, I would have been generous. I would have been indulgent. But they did not. They had not the courage. They were afraid of me. And they hated me. Neguma was silent for a moment. Both he and his guest stared toward the graceful shaft of the Vulcan, now fully silhouetted against the whole tremendous bulk of Jupiter, sitting like a titanic scarlet egg upon the horizon of Callisto. The Jupiter light flooded the vitrite garden, gave the plants there chosen with an eye to this strange, exotic glowing colors, flushed Neguma and Slish with a ruby radiance. Towards that dark, waiting craft, the two they had watched were even now stealing, tense with the weight of their daring and their crime. In a moment they would reach her, enter her, actuate machinery that was miraculous in its complex simplicity, and then be gone on the wings it gave them into the concealing embrace of universal space. You see, my friend Sliss, Neguma said, finally. Nanlo is beautiful. But there is nothing within. Her beauty deceived me. 
I thought that where such loveliness existed, there must be a soul to animate it. I was wrong. She is like an imitation gem, beautiful on the surface, paste within. Yet the mistake was mine, and I did not blame her. I indulged her, and still hoped that something real would bloom within her. He drained the molkai in his mug, one great gulp, and slumped back. The young man, too, Hugh Neils. I thought that he would be a companion for her, but he too is weak. Yet they say they love each other. They swear, we heard them, that they only want each other and their love for all time. Sliss blinked, twice, and Neguma nodded. Yes, he said. If they carry out their plans as we heard them, that feeling will soon go. The sale of the Vulcan, even as stolen property, would give them many credits. After that, luxury, self-indulgence, and their natures are too weak to withstand the ravages of such things. So I have been troubled to know what to do. You see, my friend from Venus, though I would have let Nanlo go had she asked me, my own honor is at stake when she seeks to deal me an injury by slipping away in the night and stealing from me the Vulcan. She is doing evil and must be punished. The young man, too. Indulgent as I am, I cannot let him dishonor me thus without paying any penalty. Sliss's eye membranes shut, questioningly. Yet, the uranium merchant went on, I have a fondness for Nanlo. I will not prevent her from doing as she has chosen to do, for the intent would still be there. And knowing it as I do, all between us is over. I cannot aid her to fulfill her plans either, for that is to injure her and myself too. But there is another course. I have chosen that. He gestured with one plump hand toward the silhouetted ship. I believe they have entered the Vulcan, he announced. I saw light as the entrance port opened then. The amphibian's great frog head nodded agreement. So, Neguma continued, I have decided to exercise what indulgence I can in the face of the injury they would do me. They shall have their chance. He fell silent again. Sliss leaned forward in his tub. Both of them watched intently. A flare of greenish light had sprung up beneath the black pillar that was the Vulcan. For just an instant, the freighter stood there, green radiance expanding around her. Then she leaped into the sky. With her leap, she seemed to suck the radiance along. It became a great cone of glowing light that, arrow-like, raced away upward. For a long instant, the black length of the ship and the greenish fan of flame were outlined against the scarlet background of Jupiter. Then the freighter rocket, flinging herself upward at three gravities or better, passed the edge of the planet and vanished. 
Neguma sat very quiet for some moments, but at last he stirred again. Sliss's eyes turned toward him, immobile. Sometimes, love transforms the weak, the uranium merchant said slowly, like fire giving temper to soft metal. Sometimes a mutual love will endure for all eternity, and the two who share it will gain from it a soul they did not have before. Nanlo and Hugh Niels have this chance. Both said they wanted only the other, and their love, for all eternity. To gain this, both were willing to cheat, to steal, to dishonor me and themselves. So Sliss, my understanding friend, they have paid the price. They shall have what they ask for. As the man Hugh Neal said, there is fuel and food in the holds of the Vulcan to run the motors and last the lifetime of a man, or a man and woman. Indeed, two lifetimes, or three, for I was aware of their plans. And secretly I placed aboard the craft many additional supplies, fuel and food and books and tools. And one additional thing the two who flee now in their space have not counted upon. Into the controls of the Vulcan, one of my engineers has placed a small device. After two hundred hours, or when they are well beyond Jupiter, this device will swing the Vulcan straight toward Proxima Centauri, the nearest star. In that position, the controls will lock, and for twenty years, a generation, it will be impossible either to alter the course of the Vulcan or to shut her blast motors off. At the end of that time, the last tank of reserve fuel will be exhausted, and they will cease automatically. Then once more the Vulcan may be controlled by those aboard. They may switch the motors onto the tanks of fuel in the cargo holds and continue onwards. If they were celestial navigators, they might try to turn and seek Earth again. But they are not navigators. And the sun will be but a tiny spark in the limitless darkness, one with a million others not to be told apart. They will know that only Proxima Centauri in all space may the Vulcan hope to reach in their lifetime, or perhaps even that of their descendants, for a message to that effect they will find presently. So it may be that they will continue onward of their own choice. If they make no choice, momentum will carry them onward, perhaps forever. But in any case, Nanlo and Hugh Niels will have exactly what they asked for, each other. For all eternity. They or their descendants can be the first humans to bridge the gap of nothingness that has thus far daunted the stoutest hearts. As they watched, the green dart of light dwindled and was gone, and quite invisible at last in the arms of outer darkness, the Vulcan sped its two passengers onward toward the stars. End of the Indulgence of Neguma by Robert Arthur Recording by Stephen Anderson, Jacksonville, Florida